And this book, so dear to my heart, now today ministered to me in my early 20s. Just like most people, when I was in church and became a teenager and got out from mom and dad to do what I wanted to do, to drive around, go wherever, I got a little wild and a little rambunctious. And in doing that, I strayed away from God tremendously. And because one day things had just all crumbled down quickly, I mean, just within a few moments. Seemed like within one day or two, my whole life just fell at my feet. I was literally in tears. Didn't know what to do, where to go, how things were going to transpire in my life. In fact, I didn't have much hope, didn't have a lot of faith. I felt like that I was by myself, that no one was there, no one would understand. I grabbed the Bible and I began to go through the Bible, just flipping through it, wouldn't read it. And I got to the book of Ruth and something inside of me made me stop. I guess maybe it was that my grandmother's middle name was Ruth. Maybe that's what it was that caused me to stop. As I stopped, I began to read the book of Ruth and the Holy Ghost began to speak to me. And the book of Ruth changed my life. I came back to the Lord, accepted his calling, and I am here today before you, and God has richly blessed me since that hour. Today, in Ruth chapter 2, I want to talk to you just a couple minutes. Immediately after this, we have dinner for you next door, so please stay. Enjoy fellowship with one another. Uh, smile, laugh, have a good time, and enjoy today together. As you well know, on third Sundays, we do not have third Sunday night dinners. I'm sorry, dinners, meetings. So you are free to go somewhere else tonight, and maybe some of you will. But I want to speak to you today, and I will be soon putting out about seven messages on our, on our message group. And this would be the last message that goes out. This is a message that explains to you today what is going on. Not only in your life, but in many. And I would pray that folks would find this and they would hear what God has to say and that our church would turn around. It is literally heartbreaking to see people that are falling in a group that I really don't care much for. But we're going to talk about a few things today and I believe it will help you. So just tell your neighbor here this morning, say, he's going to help you this morning. He being the Holy Ghost. Amen. Verse number 15, Ruth chapter number 2. The Bible said, and when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field even until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up, and she went in the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her 
that she had reserved after she was sufficed. So she gleaned in the field until even. And when she was risen up, verse 15, to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let also some of the handfuls of purpose for her leave also, and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. I want to talk with you this morning about the handfuls of purpose. Holy Spirit, speak this morning. Talk this morning. Let your heart be known to these people. Let your heart be known to those that will hear me online. Place a special anointing upon this message, Lord God, for those that are not here to hear it, that they'll want to listen to it, and they will come to punch the link to be able to hear what you're saying today. Father, I stand behind your pulpit. I ask you, Lord God, that you allow me to speak as the Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us. And Father, I'll give you the glory and the praise for what you will accomplish in the precious holy name of Jesus. And our church said, Amen. amen. And amen. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I am going to get me. Boy, you're mighty quiet today. So just look at somebody and say, I got me some handfuls of purpose. I'll talk to you about that in just a few minutes. It is my prayer as I go forward that you will listen to what God is telling you. Because some of you may not fall into these categories. Some of you may not fall into this issue. And God may not really be speaking to you, but you are affected by those that fall into this issue. Yeah. Ruth chapter number 1, verse number 1, tells us this, uh, that the story of Ruth took place during the time of the days when the judges ruled Israel. And the last verse of the book before that, Judges, verse 21, chapter 21, verse 25, says that in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. I want you to think about that a moment. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The book of Ruth covers roughly 12 years. Ten years was spent in a city called Moab. About four months was spent out in Boaz's field. One day was spent in Bethlehem. And one night was spent in the threshing floor. And when it all continues and finishes, about a year was spent over in Bethlehem. As I told you to begin with, this book has shaped my life. It shaped my ministry. It shaped my message. I preach with the basis of what comes out of this these four chapters of the book of Ruth. I preach the way I preach because this message woke me up. You see, I was a hardhead. Hmm. Amen. I was a hardhead. I was going to have things my way. I was going to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. You were not going to preach to me and you didn't get in my business and when you got in my business, you paid the price. But Ruth changed me. Amen. It was upon reading this book in my backslidden state that I realized what was happening in my life, what was going on. And it has become the guiding catalyst in my ministry. And it's the whole reason why I returned back to God in my early 20s. 
this verse and these verses in the book of Ruth shook me up and I began to realize how far I had drifted from God. This is a, a love story. I love a love story. How many of you love a love story, by the way? Boy meets a girl, they kiss each other, they get married, and they live happily ever after. That's what this book does. Explains to you that a boy meets a girl, they fall in love with each other, they get married, and they live happily ever after. But as beautifully as this book ends, as beautifully as it comes to an end, it starts out in a tragedy. There's a tragic beginning to this beautiful ending story. Today I'm going to be picking it up in your life because there's a lot of tragic beginnings that have happened in your life under the sound of my voice. There's a lot of things that's going on in your life. There's a lot of trouble that you've been walking through right lately. There's a lot of things that's happening in your life that doesn't happen to happen in your life. Right now there's a lot of things that are falling apart in your life simply because you fell in the same situation I fell in. In chapter number one, we're in introduced to a family that is doing their very best to cope with a famine. Now, just to take that word famine and throw it out there, it's not just enough to explain to you what's going on. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But the famine in this story has come into the place called Bethlehem Judah. Bethlehem Judah. Bethlehem Judah is the place where Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. Judah, as you well know, means praise. So a famine has showed up in the place that is the house of bread. And it has showed up in the place of praise. So later in this place, centuries down the line, right in this same city, this city is going to host the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself, born in a manger, born in the stable. But at this point in this city, there's no bread. There's a famine. This is a place that's known for bread. This is a place that's known for praise. But at this moment in this story, there's no bread, and there's no peace, and there's no praise. So really to just say, hey, there was a famine, that don't really conjure up in your, your mind the idea I want you to see this morning, but I want to kind of explain to you what was going on. The word famine literally means that there's an extreme scarcity of food for a great abundant amount of people. What it literally explains to you is, is that because there is no food for people to eat, it causes illness and it causes disease and death comes about. When there is a famine going on, children and men and women are suffering from malnutrition. They don't have enough to eat. And because of that, there is widespread poverty everywhere. People are not having their ends meet. Things are really looking rough. There's economic catastrophe because there's not enough of food to feed everybody. Starvation is rampant. Epidemics are happening. Pandemics are happening. Rodents is everywhere. You can't even lay down in the bed without rats coming into your bed. They're hungry, just like you're hungry. They're searching for food. And death is happening all around you. 
And being that we live in such a blessed country as we live in, we can't understand what it's like to get a true concept of what a famine really truly is. Because you see, in a famine, children cry all day long because they're hungry. You see, in a famine, while you're there, they cry themselves to sleep, and the mom and the dad are worried to death that they won't wake back up. And in the midnight hour, the mom or the dad goes off because they know it's their responsibility to feed these children, and they howl in the darkest hours of the night, and they cry because they cannot reach their responsibility. Children are dying in the streets, not just one at a time, Hundreds at a time. Everyone is suffering from malnutrition. Everyone is suffering from starvation. Mothers get together and they decide that the only way they're going to be able to live is if they decide together that they're going to take their children and one by one donate them to be boiled and cut up and served as dinner. That's the concept of a family. And in the middle of a famine, humans revert to some very base things. If you don't believe somebody will kill you over a banana, you let a famine hit and see what happens. Humans revert to the base things that you can't even imagine trying to survive one day to the next because there is no food. We're so blessed in America. We ought to be praising God. We ought to be so loud in this house this morning because we don't have to go through this. Amen. And here we are. We are introduced to this family called of Elimelech and Naomi who has a son by the name of Malon and another son by the name of Chilion. Elimelech means God is king. In fact, really specifically, it means God is my king. But when you really sit down and you look at Elimelech's life, you begin to realize and understand by his life that the decisions that he's made in his life and he made during this famine does not prove that he is believing that God is his king because he makes some bad decisions. In the middle of this famine, Elimelech announces that to his wife Naomi and to their two sons, Milhan and Chilion, that they were going to pick up and pull out and they were going to leave Bethlehem, Judah. They were going to leave the house of bread and that they were going to go to Moab. Moab is a spot just outside of the promised land. It's so close to the promised land that you could wake up and in just a few steps be in the promised land. But it's just outside of the promised land. So he says, I'm going to leave the house of bread in a place of promise, a place of praise, a, a place where God is supposed to supply and meet all my needs, a place where God has blessed and God has literally rained down his blessing upon it. Even though we're going through a tough time, I'm going to get up and pack up and move my entire family and I'm going just outside the promised land because I think that's the best thing I can do. Turn to your neighbor, look at him real good, smile, and say, he just sat down at your dining table. <laughs> I ain't preached yet, but I'm going to. 
just outside the promised land. We're going to Moab. We're leaving the house of bread. We're going to go out there and try it out there in Moab. No, never mind that it's a cursed place by God. Never mind that. You see, Bethlehem symbolizes the church. Moab means my father's or my earthly father's town. So here it is, Moab symbolizing the world and Bethlehem symbolizing the church. So what Elimelech did, one that was supposed to believe his actual name means that I'm going to live my life like God is my king. He has made a decision that he is going to leave the church and he is going to go out into the world in the middle of a famine. Why is he leaving? Because there was a famine going on in the church. You see, I want you to understand this. The church has hard times too. Church goes through some troubles every now and again. A corporate setting of a church goes through some tough growing pains. Everything ain't perfect all the time like you would want it to be. There are times in the church that there's 50 people need help and there's other times nobody needs no help. It's tough to be in a church setting. Amen. Moab came from the horrible relationship between Lot and his daughter and was born in an incest and it was immediately cursed by God. There was a curse on Moab. If you'll turn with me real quick to Deuteronomy chapter number 23, let me read that curse to you. And I want you to open this up in your mind and let God speak to you. Deuteronomy chapter number 23, verse 3 through 6, word of God says, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Moab was under a curse. Verse 4 said, Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way. Now think about this. There was an incident in life that caused Moab to be cursed by God because they did not give the children of Israel, God's promised people, bread and water while they were on the way to their promised land. But now they're eating bread and water in the, the house of God and Elimelech is going to go to an enemy that has never gave them anything and think he's going to be able to get something from the enemy. Turn to your neighbor and say, he sat down at your dinette again. And he, when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee, Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesotonia, to curse thee, nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee, thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their prosperity, all the days forever. Moab was cursed. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter number 28, God declares that all of Moab will be put to an end. It will completely be destroyed. They will no longer be a people because they did not offer bread and water to God's people. Why in the world would Elimelech want to go to an enemy in the middle of a famine? Israel was told, you don't mix with these Moabites or these Ammonites even until their 10th generation and you never mix with them forever. You stay away from them. In other words, he said, don't be conformed to this world. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come out from among them and stay out from among them. Turn to your neighbor and say, he sat down again at your nine heads. Elimelech made the decision 
And the decision that he made is when the church was going through a tough time and he decides that he's going to take his family and he's going to leave the church. He's going to leave the blessed place where he could get a blessing most possibly and he was going to go into a place of the world that was under a curse and think that he knew better than God what to do in his life. Turn to your neighbor, look at him and say, he just sat down at your dining room. Is the Holy Ghost preaching yet? Amen. Now, he turns to his mama, his, his, his wife, and his children. He says, We're leaving the blessed place to go to the cursed place. I'm pretty sure if I was to look at Tina and say, Tina, we're going to leave this blessed place and we're going over here to this cursed place, I believe that she would have something to say about that. Especially if she knew it was a cursed place. But how often in your life has it got tough in a situation that you've been in your life? It's got tough on your job. It's got tough in your finances. It got tough in your relationship. And you looked and you said, I'm going over yonder because the grass looks greener over there. Oh, turn to your neighbor and say, he just sat down at your dining How often in life, in your church, when everything starts to turn against everything and the devil kicks up his heel, how often have you said, hmm, it looks a little bit better down yonder at Blow and So Church, first church of the first deep freeze, and I'm going to the first church of the deep freeze, and I'm leaving this place because it looks a little greener over there. They got a little bit more money than that church has got. They got a bigger crowd than what they got. They got better technology than that church has got. They've got better, more people there in that church, and I can make some more friends, and maybe I can make some more money. So I'm going to leave that church, and I'm going over yonder because I want my flesh took care of. Boy, ain't that what's happening in living water right now? Help us, Lord. You see, Elimelech had no faith. It tells you a whole lot, his decision tells you a whole lot about his character. He had no faith. He based his decision entirely on how he was feeling. Oh, can I talk to you just a few minutes, amen? He was a sensual man. He was a man that lived by his five senses. He lived by what he saw, what he heard, what he smelled, what he touched, and what he was able to taste. And he made decisions on how things looked in his life. He made decisions on all that there, and he did it. And the sad thing about it is, is the decision that he made was devastating. Anytime in your life you make a decision based upon your five senses, it will wind up being devastation in your life. In fact, his decision not only brought ruin to him, it brought ruin to his entire family. How many of you love your family this morning? Would you say amen? How many of you love your children this morning? Would you say amen? How many of you love your church this morning? Would you say amen? We are your family, and the decisions that you make in your life, it affects us. And if you love your family, you're going to make sure that you make the right decision for the people that you are associated with and the people that you are living in life together with and be able to do what God wants you to do. And you'll do nothing to hurt your brother or your sister. 
I will do nothing to hurt my sister over here. I might tell her the truth every now and again. We might have some arguments every now and again. I might even grab her and put her in a headlock. She might do the same thing with me. She might even slap me upside the face, but it does not cancel out the fact that she's my sister and I got a responsibility to her. So my decisions is going to be based upon trying to make sure that my sister's not hurt by what I do. Mm, I'm talking to anybody. Turn to somebody and say, he just sat down again in that other chair at your dining room. Boy, there's a lot of angels around your dining room right now, ain't it? It brought ruin to his entire family. You see, I don't really blame him because I saw death in the street too. He saw death in the street. He heard all those cries of them babies that were crying in the middle of the night. He smelt the stench of death. And it seemed like when he woke up yesterday, there was death there. And when he walked up and walked out of the house at 12 o'clock, death was there. When he walked out at 3 o'clock, death was there. And he walked out there at 6 o'clock and he heard children crying and he saw other people die. He saw it and he saw it starting to affect his family. And he said, I got to do something. I got to do something. And I don't really fault him for listening and paying attention to his senses, but he was supposed to live and show everybody that God was his king. That's what he was named to do. That's what he was called to do. He was called to stay in the house of bread. He was called to stay in the place that was blessed and not cursed. He was called to radiate the glory of God in everything that he does. Scripture tells us that we are supposed to walk by faith and not by sights. We're not supposed to be moved by our senses. It doesn't matter how you feel. I like to watch the WWE every now and again just see how much a soap opera they can, they can throw on their necks. Amen. And there was one on there, a big star by the name of Rock, and he'd ask you a question. When you start answering, he'd throw his hand down and say, it doesn't matter what you say. Let me explain to you, it don't matter how you feel. It don't matter how you feel. You're not supposed to be moved by your senses. Spiritual people are not moved by your senses. We are moved by spiritual dynamics. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. We don't do this by what and how according to how we feel. We do it by how we faith. Listen to me. We don't do things and go out and do things because we always feel good. I had to do something this morning. It didn't make me feel good. But I had to do it because I faith that way. Amen. Sometimes I don't like coming to church. Sometimes I'd rather lay in the bed. Amen. Hello. Amen. 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 Hello. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's at your dining room again. A lot of times I don't like coming to church. A lot of times I don't feel like coming to church. Sometimes I don't always feel like preaching. Sometimes I don't always feel like singing. Sometimes I don't always feel like praising and raising my hands and praising the Lord. And there's a lot of times I don't feel like shouting. There's a lot of pain that goes on in my body on a daily basis. But we don't always feel like sometimes that we're saved real good. But we don't live by how we feel, do we? Amen. I'm not saved by how I feel. And I thank God I'm not saved by how I feel. I'm not saved about how I feel. I'm saved by what I know. Look at your neighbor and say, what do you know this morning? There's something that I know this morning, Jackie. I know that old things in my life have passed away and everything has become brand new in my life. I know that I'm a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. I know that what I know is that my sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. What I know is that my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life up in heaven. It don't matter how I 
feel. I've got to live like I know and what live by what I know in life and not let what I feel in life come into play. Amen. I know that I've passed from death to life. I know that I've died and I've went to my cross and I've went to the burial ground and I've been resurrected into a brand new life. I know that everything is well with my soul. I know that if I die right now that God is coming after me and carrying me to heaven and it doesn't matter how I feel. Mm, great, I feel the Holy Ghost, amen. I don't have to feel this thing to know it. I don't have to feel that I'm saved to know it. It's a benefit. It's a blessing in my life to feel what I know. But if I don't feel what I know, then I still know that Jesus died for me and I needed a Savior. I know that my place on Sunday morning is to be in the house of God. I know my house, my place is to be in the house of God on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. And if you come and if you don't come, I'm coming to the house. I know where I'm supposed to be. If I can get up and I can make it, I know what I know and I don't have to feel it. Mm, boy, amen. Bob, Lord, the Holy Ghost is preaching. Amen. amen. So, when God lets us feel it in our life, we enjoy our expression and we enjoy our experience and it's a wonderful feeling to feel what we know. Amen. But if I don't ever feel it again, if I don't ever feel His blessing again, I can go to my grave right now knowing that it's well with my soul. I know what I know. And I know that I am a child of the living King. I know what I know, Jackie. I know what I know, Ben. You can run out there and you can talk about me and say anything you want, but I know what I know. I know that I had a transaction with my Heavenly Father. And I know the day, and I remember it, when the blood of Jesus Christ washed me away from all of my sins and the burden was rolled away from me. I know what it feels like. I know it. If I never feel it again, I ain't got to feel it again. I know it happened, and you ain't going to change it. I know I am a child of the living King. Praise the Lord. Lemonade had no faith. But he also didn't have any patience. Hmm. Turn your neighbor right beside him and say, there come another angel with your dinette. <laughs> Lemonade had no patience. We're leaving, and we're leaving right now. Now, I, I went through the scriptures, and I looked all the way through, and I found that there were 13 different famines in the Old Testament, just in the Old Testament. Some was more severe than others. Some lasted longer than others. But there's one thing that I found out about a famine, Jackie, and that is they have one thing in common. Every famine has the same thing in common. They don't last forever. Amen. Oh, just because it's bad right now don't mean it's going to have to be bad tomorrow. They all come to an end. Not a one of them lasted forever. I don't care what's going on in your life right now. It don't have to continue that way. Amen. Praise the Lord. It don't have to. It's not going to last forever. This is not your fate. This is just a temporary state in your life. And don't you lose faith. Don't you lose patience. Because God said, I will make sure I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll make sure I go before you. I go behind you. I stand beside you. I stand up on top of you. And I stand down below. I protect you and put a hedge around I'll make sure that your needs are met according to my, my God, spell the Holy Ghost, according to the need that I have my riches up in heaven. Eliminate what didn't have any patience. All through these famines that I read through yesterday and I looked at them and everything, I began to realize that God will always bring an end to a famine. 
Oh, that's a shout line right there. Amen. God will always bring an end to your crisis. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy shall come in the morning. God will bring to an end your pandemic. God will bring an end to your crisis. God has already delivered you. He's just waiting for you to see his deliverance so he can bring you out of it. God will always come through for his people, and God will always come through for you. That's enough of word right there to send you home and you are to be able to walk out of here with enough of faith and patience to face the devil eye to eye this week and say, I'm going through with Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. He had no faith, had no patience, but also eliminate didn't have any hope. He wrote off his future. Oh, it ain't never going to get no better than this. And he did it based on yesterday and today. As long as God's in heaven, listen to me, church. I'm not really trying to preach this morning. I'm trying to talk to you. As long as there's a God in heaven, and I believe that God's going to be in heaven for eternity, would you say amen? Your future is as bright as the noonday sun. You have got a future. There is still hope for a better tomorrow. Things can get better. All you got to do is you got to start getting in alignment with God. You got to get in alignment with God. The Bible says without faith is impossible to please him. That means if you don't have faith, you're not in alignment with God. But when you're in alignment with God operating in your faith, moving around in hope and in patience, you're in alignment with the very move and the ministry of God. Angels has got to come by you to bring blessings to the earth. And if they got to come by you, they're going to leave you some blessings. It's time to get in alignment with God and do what thus saith Almighty God. Oh, my Jesus. Amen. As long as God still sets up on his throne, there is a future for you, and your future is bright. And I love Jeremiah 29, 11. It's right on the back of my bathtub. It's something I committed to memory many, many years ago where he said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, and the thoughts that to you are for your good, and they are there to give you a future. I still got a future. It don't matter what it looks like right now. I still have hope in my life. It don't matter what it looks like. The doctor might tell me I'll never be able to live over them next week, but I still got a future, amen. So look at your neighbor and say, Don't you lose your hope, don't you lose your hope, don't you lose your hope, you still got a future, amen. Hallelujah. So now he makes a decision and he leads his family out of the will of God to go to Moab. They were in a famine, but they were in God's will. You can be in a famine and be in God's will. Things can be rough and you can be in God's will. In in chapter number one of Ruth, it says they went to sojourn to Moab. The word sojourn means they went there to just visit and then they were going to come back. The intention was that they were going to run, go get some bread in Moab and come back home. But when they got to Moab, they wound up staying. And they stayed for 10 years. Turn to your neighbor, look at him and say, there's another angel at your line is. <laughs> Out of the will of God, they wound up staying. There, there, there was an old saying when I was coming up in church, sin will take you farther than you care to go. 
You see, when you step out of the place that's a blessed place and you go into the place just outside of the promise, you can be right on the brink of the promise and you can live 10 years in your life right on the brink of the promised land but not have the benefits of the promised land. Oh my God, am I talking to anybody today? Amen. Amen. There's three words that was mentioned about them that explain what happened while they were over there in Moab. Number one, they sojourned there. They were supposed to be there temporary, but they wound up staying 10 years. The next word was they continued there. Turn to your neighbor, look at him and say, there's another angel at your dinette. You continued there. And he stayed there for 10 years. He stayed in Moab just outside of the promised land, outside of God's will, and lived there for 10 years. It wasn't his intention to be out of God's will. He was just going to go visit a place. But the Bible says that if you are going to go into Moab, you were not supposed to even associate with him. You weren't even supposed to be close to him for 10 generations or forever. You ain't supposed to go there. You ain't supposed to be messing with that. You're supposed to come out from among them and leave them alone. But but now you went over there and just meddled a little bit and then a famine grabbed a hold of you there and now you can't get back in the promised land. Oh, turn to your neighbor and look at him and say, there's another angel at your dinette. Boy, the Holy Ghost is throwing that at you today. Old Kip's already been hit with all them angels. I believe they come down with a staff from heaven. You see, what? the third thing that happened is Elimelech died. He sojourned, he continued, he died. He sojourned, he continued, he died, and Malon died. He sojourned, he continued, he died, Malon died, and Chilion died. You see, when you step out of the will of God, oh, I just felt the Holy Ghost. When you step out of the will of God, when you get out of the blessed place, and you go associate with something that's cursed, it will grab a hold of you and it will hold you there and it will be a stronghold in your life. You can be right on the brink of coming back into the promised land and still be out of the will of God. And the end result thereof will be death. Not only your death, your children too. See, that's why I preach, why I preach. Because you see, when I find people on the path of a backslider, I've got to let them know you can't keep doing that. You can't stay there. You're not able to stay there all the time. You've got to come out of it. God understands every now and again we want to meddle with things that's cursed, but he's got mercy and grace and blood of Jesus Christ to take care of. But we've got to get back into the promised land for that to happen. Amen. Oh, I've heard it over and over and over again. I had one not very long ago come stand up here and didn't tell me that they were leaving the church. They told me, we're going over here because my family needs me over here. I don't know how long I'll be gone. They've been gone for about five months. It's time for you to realize and understand. I've had them come to me and say, don't worry, preacher. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'll be back. And then you don't see them. I've had them look at me and say, I'll get over this. Everything will be all right. Just give me a little bit of time. I'll be back. And they, they want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger in the spirit, but they don't ever come back. Why don't you just look at somebody and say, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the place that I've been blessed to be in and I'm going out yonder in the uh, outside of the promised land and I'm going to put up with that they're cursed in my life and everything you preached against in my life, everything you preached for me in my life, I'm going to throw it to the trash. I'm leaving the house of bread. I'm leaving the place of praise and I'm going out there and I'm going to fend for myself. Why don't you just tell the truth? 
Ten years later, Chris, Emelec is dead. Malon is dead. Chilion is dead. And I think it might be helpful for me to throw to you. Eliminate means my God is king. But Malon means sickness, illness, disease. And Chilion means to be consumed or to pine away, depressed. So this story is ministering to people that are supposed to be living a life that God is their king. But they've wound up sick in their spirit. They're wound up ill in their health. And they are literally diseased and they're terminal now. They're literally almost ready to die. And now they are being consumed and pining away because they're depressed. See, this whole chapter, this whole book was written to people like that. And I want you to turn to your neighbor, smile at them like you really love them, and say, God's whole army just sat down at your nine heads. Boy, ain't the Holy Ghost talking this morning, amen. They had mingled with what God commanded them to come out from among. Can, can I meddle just a minute? And just give me just a few minutes because it don't take it away from my preaching time, meddling time. So I'm on meddling time right now. So I'm going to meddle for a little bit. Look at me. Children grow up. Children grow up. They grow up fast. And they will either grow up in the will of God or out of the will of God. Look at me. And how they grow up depends 100% on you. If you don't get that child in the Sunday school and you don't get that child in church by the time they're 11, 12 years old, you've lost them. If you've had them in church up to that point in time, there's scripture to back this up to. If you've had them in church, they might go out there and wonder a little bit, but there will come a day when the Holy Ghost grabbed that heart and squeeze it so tight and say, you're coming back to the house of bread. Children grow up. Now they had forgotten all about Bethlehem. These children hadn't even, they've been raised up early in there, but now they're old enough and they have forgotten all about Bethlehem. You see, Moab had God in their spirit. The world had God in their spirit. Now I want to tell you, everybody look at me. You can leave this church. You can leave church. You can go, but I want you to just do me a favor before you do. Turn around and look who's following you. Look who's following you. Because the ones that you're carrying out of God's will, you're going to wind up killing them. And you're going to have to pay for that. This is the scripture that I'm talking about. This is a principle from God. Amen. You might wake up 10 years from now and you might decide in your life that you're going to come back to the house of bread like Naomi did, but you might not have no children to come back with. Oh, can I meddle just a little bit more? Amen. You might wake up your mind and, and 10 years down the road, so I can't stay out of the promised land. I can't stay out of God's will in my life anymore. And I'm going back to getting God's will. And I'm going back to the house of God. And I'm going to get me a blessing. I'm going to get me some bread. And you can look around and you have children that have grown and say, come on and come with me. And they will not come with you because the spirit of Moab is in their spirits. It's all up to you how your children grow up. Am I preaching to anybody here this morning? So now, before the chapter number one is over, we see three funerals and a bent, broken, bitter-down old woman who's been out of God's will for ten years. Turn to your neighbor and say, another angel sat down right at your right hand. 
Because some of y'all have been living out of God's will for years. That's why all the hell is happening in your life that's been happening. That's why everything you touch goes to brass. That's the reason why every time you think you're going to take a couple of steps up, you get knocked back a couple of times. That's why when you need help from somebody and they may be willing to help you and they might have the resources to help you, they can't help you because you're out of God's will. Because when they do, and I'm going to tell you, you get put that person in a bad situation. In fact, Liz and Jerome and I, we talked about that on the way over here today. And over you put people in a bad situation when you ask them to go against what they preach. And every time they help somebody that's hooked on drugs, help somebody that's hooked on alcohol, every time they help somebody that's shacking together and living with somebody, every time they do that, there they are compromising what they preach and they are responsible for your soul. Look at your neighbor and ask him, say, do you love your pastor? Ask another one, say, do you love your brothers and sisters? Then just slap them real good and say, straighten up then. Get it right then. So now she's went through three funerals. She's bent down, broken down. She's disgusted. She's bitter. She left from the house of bread full. Now she's empty. Oh, I can remember a day and an hour when your bank account was full. I remember that day and hour that you had the love of your life. I remember that day and hour you had friends and people to help you. Everybody respected you, loved you. I remember that day and hour in your life that you were the number one tithe payer in the church. I remember that day and hour in life you didn't ask for nothing. You always gave. I remember that day and hour in your life it just seemed like it didn't matter what you'd done. Doors just opened up for you everywhere. You were blessed left and right. But now here you are empty. You don't really know what to do. You've been struggling for a long time. She don't know, really know what to do. And she really don't know where to go. I want you to just ask your neighbor, say, is the Holy Ghost preaching all right today? Then suddenly... A message was sent out from Bethlehem and it reverberated through all of the valleys and it came off and ricocheted off all of the hills and finally it reached Naomi's ears and said, there's bread back in Bethlehem. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, there's still bread in living water. You might not think it's bread that you want to eat. You might think there's mold on it. You might think that it's old bread, but there's some fresh bread in the house of living water worship center. We still got the bread from the Holy Ghost. We still got the bread from heaven. God's been baking up a blessing for you, even though you've been crazy and you've been out there doing stuff that you don't need. There's still bread in living water worship center. That's the reason why you ain't never been able to let it go. Oh. Hello, y'all online. That's the reason why you can stay gone five or six months, but you got to come back. Because there's still bread and living water. Fills you up. After 10 years, she hears there's bread back in Bethlehem. 
God has visited his church now. He has come in. The rains have come down. Grain is on the stack. The fields are full of the harvest. And right now, he, she hears the message. We don't care where you are, what you are, what you've done. What we want you to do is to let you know you can come back to Bethlehem. I want you to look at I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you are. I don't care where you are. If you're in that light court this morning with your hands raised up, with the light, the, the light cut down, and everybody jumping up and down like they had a concert and a rock and roll hall, I don't care if you dare or not, there's still bread and living water, and you can come back to Bethlehem anytime you want to. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost all over me. There's still room for you here in Bethlehem. Amen. It's time for us to be able to tell America that there is still room in his church, that God has still visited his church, and there is bread in the house of bread one more time. It is time for Pentecost to be able to be able to be shouted out to everyone around that Pentecost has arrived back into the house of God, that healings are happening, deliverances are happening, people are being snatched out of poverty, people are being snatched out of the intensive care room, people are being pulled out of the deathbed. It's time that we're able to do that and declare it in the name of Jesus. God has visited us and now we got some bread. Amen. They started calling this years ago bread. <laughs> Give me some bread. Amen. It's time for us to tell the drug addict there's still bread in the house of God. Amen. It's time to tell the drunk, you know what, you can run all you want to run, but there's still bread down there in the house of God. But it's time for us to be able to tell the prostitute, you don't have to sell your body, you can come back to the house of God. There's some bread there. There's time that we're able to tell the widower and the widow that, hey, there's still bread in the house of God. It is time for us to be able to tell the bachelor, hey, you ain't got to live like that in your life. There's still bread in the house of God. I believe it's time for us, Jackie, to be able to tell the preacher, hey, there's still some bread in the house of God. Amen. God has visited his people over and over again and he's coming once again to live in water. Amen. Amen. Slap your neighbor right beside him and say, get out of Moab, Naomi. Tell him nothing say, get out of Moab, Naomi. I don't care who led you there. I don't care who it was that led you there. I don't care if she's standing right beside of you clapping her hands right there in the middle of that devil worship. If you want to get out of Moab, let's get back into the house of God where you're promised that. Naomi says, I've been here too long. <laughs> you know, you can be gone from God too long. God does have a deadline. You know that? Don't you turn to your neighbor, look at him here this morning, smile at him and say, you've been gone too long. Now, some of y'all have really, truly been gone too long. But some of you have been here, but you've been gone too long. You still ain't here yet. Your body here, but your mind ain't here. <laughs> you show up, and you look pretty good when you show up, but your soul ain't here. You leave your emotions in the bed when you get up. You leave your spirit snoozing out there on the recliner before you ever walk back into the house of God. But Naomi says about Moab, she says, I've been out of God's will for far, far too long, and I'm going to go back to church. In fact, I heard one of the members of our church tell my wife that yesterday. I've been out of church too long. I told my wife, I'm getting back to the church. You see, 
God's talking to you this morning. Turn to that beside me and say, another angel just said that your dine is. I've been gone too long, and I'm coming home. I've been wrapped up in this mess out here way too long, and I'm coming home. I've been trying to relieve my mind for so long, but I'm coming home. But you know what? She's got a problem. You see, it's a whole lot easier to say it than to do it. The longer you've been a God one from, from the will of God, the harder it is for you to get back in the will of God. She's got a problem. She's got two daughter-in-laws now, and she don't know what to do. I know I've already talked a long time. She had two daughters. One of them was named Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah. Her name means stiff-necked. How many got some of them members in your family? Oh, don't you just love to see stiff-necked show up on family reunion? Ain't you just planning Thanksgiving dinner hoping stiff-necked will show up? Then I had one called Ruth. Ruth means beauty. My grandmother was a beautiful woman named after beauty. You see, God always will balance your life out with some stiff-necked people and some beautiful people. In this church, we are balanced out with a bunch of stiff-necked, hard-headed people and some beautiful people. And she tells him, look here, she says, I'm going to give you a little touch on, you know, on, on Hebrew culture. You see, when, when, when your husband dies, the brother can marry you. But here's the problem. I ain't got no brother for you. Marion, I'm too old to have one, so you ain't going to have one. So, so right here, you're a widow, and you're a widow indeed. You ain't got no children. Your children are dead. It's all because my stupid husband made the decision to get out of the house of God and live out of the will of God all these many years. Now he's dead and both of these boys is gone and I'm mad because the Holy Ghost has used God to come into my life and literally he's, he's been dealing bitter, bitter with me and I am not Naomi anymore. My name is Mara. They set off and go together so I'm going to go back to get some help and she got to think about it and she said, I got to tell y'all, it's probably better for you to go back to where you're at. She told her, she said, you need to go back to your God. And Orpah, Miss Sister Stiffnick. <laughs> oh, we got a bunch of them in the house of God. Amen. Orpah, Sister Stiffnick, said, You know, you're right. So here's what I'm going to do I'm leaving you. Bye. Oh, it got hard now. It gets tough. Things ain't perfect now. So bye. Oh, never mind how much you helped me out in this time. No, never mind when I didn't have nothing to eat. You made sure there was something on my table. Never mind that you were there and you were ministering to me when my whole family was going through hell. You were right there when this one was happening. When my husband died and I, when my, your husband died when I was going through all this stuff and all this hell was breaking loose. You were right there with me. But here it don't matter what you're going through right now. Bye. Kiss you and say, hey, I love you. Leave you. They don't love you. My mama always said, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. 
But then the other crowd that we got in the church, and I wish we had a whole lot more of them, was the Ruth crowd, the spirit of Ruth. The Bible says as time went on, she looked at Naomi and she clinged to Naomi and she grabbed a hold of Naomi and she said, look here, she said, let it be known and let it be known today. I'm going with you. My life is tied in with you. I'm going to make it through with you. I'm going to let nothing separate me and you. And if then I will take it right now and I will make a promise and a covenant with you. I will be with you on your deathbed. And your God will be my God. And I'm going back to the house of bread with you. Amen. I'm sick of kissers. But I would sure love to have some cleaners. Amen. We need the Ruth spirit back into the house of God. We need a Ruth in the house of God that will wrap their arms around missions and say, you ain't going to be able to get rid of me that easy. You ain't going to be able to tell me just to leave here and I'm going to be all right. I'm wrapping my arms around this mission and I'm going to see it through and death is what's going to take me out of here. I, we need some Ruth that will wrap her arms around vision and say, I'm going to see this church and what God called this church through and we're going to do it no matter what. It don't matter if Darlene leaves. It don't matter if the preacher leaves. It don't matter if Cliff leaves. I'm still here. I'm still part of living water. It don't matter. I'm here with you and it'll be death that calls me Amen. oh my god am I talking to anybody Amen. look at your neighbor here this morning smile at him and say you ain't gonna push me out that easy Oh my God, I just hope in your heart here this morning that you are going to begin to grab a hold of the vision and you're going to grab a hold of the mission. You're going to grab a hold of your decision and your relationship with God and you're going to wrap your arms around it and you're going to hold on for dear life. It don't matter how many times the devil grabs your legs and try to jerk you out of the place and say, no, 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 no. I'm holding on to Naomi. I'm holding on to the Bethlehem Judah. I'm holding on to the place that's a blessed place in my life. I'm holding on to the place that can bribe me the bread and the blessing that I need in my life. It don't matter how far you want to carry me. It don't matter how much you love me. I can say bye to you too, but I'm saying here. I want you to know, church, I'm not here for the good times. Because there ain't been a whole lot of good of them. A lot of them here. I'm here for the calling. I'm here because there's an anointing on this house. I know there's an anointing on this house. There's an anointing on this house to change this region. I'm here because God called me here. It ain't because you like what I preach. It don't matter how many times you try to tell everybody I shouldn't say this or I shouldn't say that. That ain't what I'm here for. I'm here to preach the saith almighty God. I'm here for the calling. I'm not here for the good times. I'd love to have the good time, but I'm going to stay in here because there's an anointing on this house that I need in my life. The face, that devil, I got the face. And if I'm not here to get a hold of it, the devil going to mop the floor with me. And that's what's happening to y'all. You ain't here, and the devil's mopping the floor with you. It ain't because the preacher said something. It's because you ain't here. That's the reason why you're laying up in the hospital when the nurses have to come in and say, hey, so yeah. That's the reason why the politician is telling you, I this is going to cost $10,000 to bury your loved one. That's the reason why you're going through the tragedies you're going in your life. You ain't here!
Gary, my children, I speak unto you and tell you that indeed there is still bread in the house of bread. I say unto you this hour, I have come to visit this house this morning to speak to you directly, to let you know it is not your pastor that is talking to you. It is I. It is the Holy Ghost. I say unto you, I call you to be my hallelujah. I call you to be my hallelujah. I call you to be my hallelujah. That is, you must radiate the glory of God in your life for me. And I am calling you back to the house of bread. I am calling you back to the house of bread. I am calling you back to the house of bread. I have been with you. I have seen you, I've saw what's happened, and you must come back to the house of bread, thus saith Almighty God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Naomi got back into Bethlehem, and it was rumored abroad that she was there. Everybody knew her. Look at me. Everybody knows you. And see, even though they don't tell you, they know what you've been through. In fact, you've probably been the top of conversation around a whole lot of people's table. You ain't hid nothing from God. You certainly ain't hid nothing from the church. They know it all. It was rumored that she was back and they come and say, Hey, there's Naomi, there's Naomi, there's Naomi. See, Naomi means sweet, beautiful, pleasant. And every time they say, Hey, Naomi, she would hear, Oh, you're sweet, you're beautiful, and you're pleasant. And she said, don't, don't, don't call me that anymore. She said, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me from here on out. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. I'm bitter. One thing I noticed in all them four chapters, though, John, is nobody ever called her Mara. Every time I talked about her, they called her Naomi. They didn't ever say, hey, you bitter thing. They said, hey, you pleasant, beautiful thing. Oh, turn to your neighbor, look at them and say, hey, Naomi, how you doing? It don't matter what the devil's been telling you. It don't matter what you've been telling yourself. It don't matter what you feel on the inside. It don't matter what you've been through. It don't matter what's happening. I want to tell you, God calls you for a purpose. God named you for a purpose. God puts you in a place for a purpose. And it don't matter how bad you want me to make it to treat you like you're a victim or you're a patient. I ain't going to treat you like you're a victim or you're a patient. I'm going to treat you like you're a child of the king. Oh, that's who you is. Oh, can I preach this morning? Amen. Then she told Ruth, she said, Ruth, she said, go out in the fields. Ruth said, I'll take care of you. You stay here. You handle the house. I'll go out and I'll take care of you. She see, you see, back in the day, if the, the rich man had a field, they had to leave the corners for everybody to go glean. That was the way they took care of the poor at that point in time. So she went out and she started going out. She was cleaning and she was gleaning out in the field, getting them what she needed and getting bread for the day. Because there's still bread in the house of God. You see, even if you're poor in the house of God, there's still provision for you in the house of God.
And when she entered into Boaz's field, Boaz showed up one day and took notice in her and said, hmm, that's a pretty good-looking woman. And I don't know about y'all, but if you go carry out a woman, you don't go carry her to a, a table or reach over and hand her a ear of corn and say, I think I love you. <laughs> But he gave her a ear of corn. Her hat was, and she wound up in Boaz's field on just the day that Boaz decided that he was going to go to his field. And because Boaz realized that she was a kinsman of his, he says, you know what? He says, my duty is that i got to be nice to you. Don't you look at your neighbor at him, smile at him right good, and say, I'm supposed to be nice to you. I'm supposed to bless you. I might not like you, but I'm supposed to bless you. And I want to be able to bless you. But I can't bless you out of God's will. Are you me? If you're in God's will, then I can bless you. You see, this woman was given the privilege over and above what a poor person was given. He says, let her glean and let her glean even in the sheaves. In other words, let her come out of the corner and let her get out there in the middle of the field and get what she needs. He said, and on top of all of that, he said, here's what I want you to do. I'll preach just a little bit, amen. amen. Said so every night again when you get a bundle, so what I want you to do is I want you to just take something of your hand and fill your handfuls and drop it off somewhere. That's right. I just want you to, to grab a handful of the bread and drop it off and leave it there. I just want you to take a handful of bread and drop it off and leave it there. I just want you to take a handful and drop it off and leave it there. I want you to take a handful and drop it off and leave it there. I want you to take a handful and drop it off and leave it there. Every now and again, while she's out there gleaning, I want to just drop a handful off, and I want to make sure that Ruth is going to see that handful of the wheat and the bread that I have prepared for her and I have given them to her. Amen. Y'all ain't getting it. Her hat was that she showed up in Boaz's field, and her hat was that the Holy Ghost would drop a handful, or Boaz would drop a handful on purpose for her because there's a reason because of that. Here's my handful. I'll take it off. Because anybody ever been in a bad situation in your life? And you try to get ahead. And while you're trying to get ahead, your mind is just destroying you. You're out looking for a corner to go glean in. And you get there and there ain't no weed on the ground. You ever been there before? So, so I just hear the old devil talking to Ruth. Ruth, what did you leave Moab for? Look at here. You just went in that corner. There ain't nothing left there. The, the other people done got it. You were just over there. The other people done got it. You tried that. That didn't work. And Boaz said, I want you. He told all his messengers, which is symbolic of his angel, called Boaz is symbolic of Jesus. 
He said, I want you as a messenger, I want you to go out and I want you to start dropping handfuls of purpose to let Ruth know I know where she's at. I know what she's going through. And I want her to know that I'm looking over her situation. And I want her to know that I've been dropping things along the path because I'm trying to lead her back to her blessing. I'm trying to lead her back to the place to where I can pour out my spirit on her one more time. I want to care. I'm, I'm leaving things for her and I'm dropping a handful of purpose because I want Ruth to get on board with me because I'm going to use Ruth in a way that nobody else will ever be used on this earth. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to use you like no other person on this earth. God is about to do something in living water that Amen. he's not done yet in Amen. this whole earth. Amen. Here's what happened. She went in and told Naomi, said, I've been gleaning over there in Boaz's field. And Naomi said, that's a kinsman. You, he'll marry you if you'll act right. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus will marry you if you'll act right. Jesus will marry you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Some of y'all wants to get married, and all of you, all you women out there, you say, oh, I want a rich man. I want a man that's got this, a man that's got that. Wouldn't you want to have somebody that owns everything in the whole universe as your husband? Turn to your neighbor, look at him, and say, he'll marry you if you'll act right. And he'll drop the handfuls of purpose for you as long as he does so. She said, if you'll act right, he'll marry you. And if he'll marry you, he'll pay my debt off and he'll pay your debt off. And you'll be all right from here on out. And he wound up marrying her. And they lay down in the bed and they had a baby. And they called him Obed. And about two decades later, Obed laid down with his wife and birthed a boy by the name of Jesse. And a few years later on, Jesse laid down with his wife and birthed a fellow by the name of David. And some generations later, Mary had God come down on her in the power of the Holy Ghost and impregnate her, and she birthed Jesus. Oh, y'all ain't got me now. Are y'all with me? Smile. God's been dropping handfuls of purpose in your life to get you where you're at this morning to tell you you cannot continually live outside the promised land in a place that's cursed. You were called to be in a house of God that is blessed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And it don't matter how bad it looks in the house of God, it's way worse out yonder in the cursed place. Stay in the house of God. You'll remember that this day in February in 2024 that a crazy redneck from the jam stood up and preached to you and walked through and handed you a little napkin and said this symbolizes the handful of purpose that God is promising you where you are right now. You ain't got to stay there no more. Oh my God, can you give God a good hand for that? After our last business meeting, I talked to that boy right there and I talked to that girl right there. 
and I told both of them I was done. I talked to my sister. I said, I'm done. Did I? Did I? Did I? The very next week, I went out, walked in this woman's house to collect her money, and her preacher was sitting there. And when I walked in the door, he said, I knew you were going to be here today. He said, I didn't know you. He said, but the Lord woke me up this morning and told me that I had to come see Miss Jenny and to wait there until her insurance man showed up. <laughs> he said, so I have been here since 8 o'clock this morning. He said, why couldn't you come earlier? He said, it's 3 o'clock. I've had a lot of stuff I need to do today. He said, I even asked Miss Jenny for your telephone number and she didn't have it. He said, so I've been patient because I know God spoke for me to come tell you something. I said, watch that, Pastor. He said, God ain't done with you yet at that church that you're at. It don't matter how bad it acts. It don't matter how bad it becomes. It don't matter if your family walks out on you. I ain't done with you yet. Do not leave yet because I am going to bring you into your destiny. And what I said I was going to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it through you. So everybody look at me. You can't get rid of me that easy. <laughs> I'm a roof and you ain't going to get rid of me that is. You can act stupid if you want to. You can run to them nightclubs on Sunday morning if you want to because that's exactly what they are. God said I'm still going to do what I said I'm going to do in Living Water Worship Center. That means drunks are going to come bring their alcohol to the altar. That means people that's hooked on crystal meth is going to bring it here and we're going to have to dispose of it and give it up. That's when people are going to come in and people that have been living together for 20 years are going to ask me to marry them. God's going to change this church up and God said I'm still going to do it and I'm going to use it through you. So what was that visit that day? That man got up out of his bed, went to Miss Jenny's house, sat in there and visited with her from 8 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, waiting on this skinny little redneck from the jam. What was that? It was God dropping a handful of purpose in my life. It was God saying, it don't matter what darling does, what darling says, how darling acts. What matters is your commitment to me and the relationship that you and I have. And God said, I'm dropping you handful of purpose. Across yes. your whole life, God has been dropping them handful of purposes for you. Yes. One of the problems is, is you have refused to pick them up. Yes. If you'll start picking them up, 
you'll slowly get into your destiny. Amen. Amen. One of them will be a handful of healing. One of them will be a handful of deliverance. One of them will be a handful of financial blessing. One of them will be a handful of the power of God. One of them will be a handful of faith. One of them will be a handful of breakthrough. One of them will be a handful of the speaking in tongue language from God. One of them will be a handful of purpose from God to get you to your destiny. This preacher today just gave each and every one of you a little napkin as a symbol that God is dropping handfuls of purposes in your life. I want each and every one of you to stand up with that handful of purpose, and I want you to hold it up to God. Because this hour, this day, is the day when you come out of the curse, and you come out of the land that's cursed, and you get back in the promised land of God. This is the moment that your life turns completely around. Y'all with me this morning? I don't care where you're at. I don't care how you've been. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care like I told you wrong at this point. I don't care if your record's as long as your entire body. I don't care. God don't care about that. What he cares about is you got a destiny. And God calls you to fulfill that destiny. And God has handfuls of purposes laid all around in your life. And I want you to wave that to God right now. You see, you see, that's white. You're waving a white flag to God. You're saying, God, I'm sacrificing. I'm giving up. I'm surrendering right now. I'm going to pick up. Mm, oh, I feel the I Holy Ghost. Yes. Hold it up to him. Thank him for that handful of purpose in your life. Yes. Thank him for just a minute with that handful of purpose in your life. Kier, you. you ain't got one. Come up here and grab one right quick. God's got a handful of purpose yes. in your life. He's been over there cooking, trying to feed y'all. I want you to hold it up. I want you to. I want you to know God has never left you. He's never forsaken you. He is yes, going before you. He's been behind you. He's right beside of you. He's on top of you, and he's down below you. He's already made sure that there is a Boaz in your life. There is a Boaz in your life ready to bring you out of where you are, and it's time for you to receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to play in the church. But what's the preacher's name, Darlene, that gives the little thing about Boaz from Charlotte? Go on YouTube and type it Boaz. And he talks about if you don't go to your Boaz, that there's all kind of other Boazes out there. Vince Jensen Franklin, pull him up and look at Boaz. And just look at that, it's funny. But there's a lot of truth behind it. Hold up your handful of purpose. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for every handful of purpose that you have dropped in our life. Thank you, Lord, that it's not just been one. It's been handfuls of purpose in our life. God, you have dropped them in an area in our life, in a way in our life, in a path in our life to lead us right back where we are today. God, let us be able to say one more time that Living Water Worship Center has got bread back in his house. Let us be able to say one more time that you have visited this house and you have changed people's lives. God let us be able to minister to the drunk, minister to the addict, minister to the prostitute, the gigolo. Help us Lord God to minister to the ones that are broken hearted and let them know that Boaz is back in the house and that bread is here in the house and we can be blessed by the power of God. In Jesus name. 
Go with us, Lee God, and direct us, Lord. Bring us back in love and in unity. Bless the hands that has prepared our dinner for the day, and we'll give you the glory and the praise for it all in Jesus' name. And if you are happy that you came to church this morning and you're thankful to God for your hap, give God a good hand clap of praise and say amen. Let's go eat. Amen. Plain enough. Amen. Good enough.